0: Why don't you grab your Bibles, uh, if you have them with you, your phones, etc. And uh, if you haven't got a Bible, there is a Bible along the aisle. Uh, you're well, welcome to take that and keep that uh, for yourself if you don't have a Bible. Turn to First uh, Peter chapter 1, and we're going to start reading from verse 13. And we're going to go all the way through to chapter 2, um, verse 3. Therefore, prepare your minds for action, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not conform to the passion of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were trans knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers who would what was going on there? Do I need to step up out of here, out of the way? Knowing that you were Ransom from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He who foreknown, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake. Who through him Are believers in God who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. For all flesh is like grass. And all of its glory glory, like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of God remains forever. And this word of God, and this word is good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up to salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good.
1: Thank you, Sanjeev. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's great to be in church together this morning. Just going to move a little bit of space here so I can move around. So I like to move a little bit. So I'm going to do that. The video you just watched was quite inspiring, wasn't it? A video of a young lady. Um, this seems a bit echoey today for some reason, so if we could just adjust it a bit, that'd be great. The video you watched is of a young Australian actress called Anna McGaughan, who is wrestling with a question. And the question that she's wrestling with is how to be holy in the world that we live in, and in her circumstance, the industry that she's immersed in. And that's a question that's critical for all of us to be able to answer. How do we live as holy people in the world that we live in? Um, Today, if I was a scientist and I wasn't worried about the carpet here at Tumar Community Center, I would start with a couple of experiments to start this sermon. Um, The first one would involve a huge pot of red dye and a clean, crisp white t-shirt. And I would take the white t-shirt and I would fully immerse it in the red dye. And I would leave it there for a couple of minutes. And a couple of minutes later, I would pull out the red t-shirt. And what you would see is that the white t-shirt is now a red t-shirt. And the reason it's now a red t-shirt is because it's been immersed in something and it's become exactly like what it's immersed in. It was immersed in red dye, it has become a red t-shirt. The second experiment I would do, it would be with a huge tub of water. And I'd have a big tub of water here and I'd have a bottle of oil. And I'd take the bottle of oil and I'd submerge it underneath the water. And I'd take off the lid and I'd squeeze the bottle until all the oil came out of the bottle. A couple of minutes later, I would show you that bucket of water, and what you would see is all the oil floating on top of the water. And the reason it would be floating on top of the water is that oil and water are alien to one another. They do not mix. Those two experiments represent the two options we have as Christians living in this world. We can be like the t-shirt, and we can become fully immersed in this world with all its influences, all of its pressures, and we can come out of it looking like everybody else. Or, like the oil, we can be in this world, but not of this world. Today's message is titled, Be Holy. Last week, we started a new series going through the letter of one Peter. And in the first week, we learned that Peter addressed the letter to God's people who had been scattered right throughout the provinces of Rome due to severe persecution. He refers to them as aliens. That's the title of our series. Aliens and Strangers in the World. And Peter is writing this letter to encourage them to stand firm in what they're going through. The message last week was titled Pain. And promise. And in the first 12 verses, Peter acknowledges the pain of these people, but he encourages them to lift their eyes above the pain and above the circumstances to the promises of God. In the second half of chapter one that we're looking at today, he now gives them instructions on how to live holy lives when surrounded by a culture that doesn't honor God. And so immediately you can see how this letter would be relevant to them. They're scattered through the provinces of Rome. They're surrounded by a culture that doesn't honor God. They're under pressure, all sorts of social pressure and religious pressure, and they're being persecuted. And so this will be a really helpful letter for them. But almost just as immediately, you can see how this letter can be helpful for us. Because we also live in a culture that's becoming increasingly hostile and opposed to the gospel. And so I'm sure that Peter's advice will still be applicable for us and powerful in many ways. Bo Hughes from the Village Church says these words. He said, God established his church as an alternate society, not to compete with or to copy this world, but to offer a refreshing alternative to it. When we as a church forget this, we inadvertently communicate to the world and to our culture that we have nothing as God's people to offer, nothing unique nothing deeply spiritual or profoundly transforming. And tragically, that leaves many in our world looking elsewhere for the difference they crave. Christians make a difference in this world when they are different from the world. We don't make a difference by being the same. The truth is that God has called us to be people in this world who reflect his character. He has created us in his image and through the cross and through the power of the Holy Spirit, he enables us to be people who live for him. And so as people look to us and they see the goodness and they see the love and they see the compassion and they see the mercy and they see the grace of God, they should see a picture of what God is like. And as they see Christ in us, the end result should be that they should be so radically attracted to what they see that they want to come to know Jesus themselves. I wonder if that's what People see when they encounter us? That's a challenging question for all of us to consider. The kind of character that I'm talking about is what Peter calls holiness. Verse 15 is really the key verse of this section. And it says these words, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. I want you to notice that it doesn't say, be holy sometimes. It doesn't say, be holy uh, when it's convenient for you. Be holy uh, when you feel like it. Be holy only when people are watching. No, no, it says, be holy in all circumstances, at all times, be holy in all you do. The word holy is one that's important for us to grasp. A lot of people have a concept of holiness as being just obeying a bunch of rules but holiness is so much more than that. The word holy means to be set apart. And so when we say God is holy, God is set apart from all creation. He is holy in every way. But we are also called to be people who are holy, people who are set apart. Now, my concern is this, that it feels to me that there are many Christians who are just so busy trying to fit in. So many Christians that they seem to be so um, preoccupied with being accepted and loved and appreciated by the world, that they end up compromising God's word. They end up compromising their convictions also that it can be part of the world around them. The reality is, church, that we've been elected and chosen by God. Verse 1 of the passage says that if you're a Christian, that he has elected and chosen you, to be set apart for him. And so in other words, you've got all the world, but if you are in Christ, he has chosen you, elected you, and he has set you apart for a purpose. And the purpose you've been set apart for is to represent God in this world. It's the same purpose that you and I have been given. It's the same purpose that these people in the letter were given to be created in God's image and through the work of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to live lives that reflect his character in all of creation. We are called and chosen to be ambassadors of Christ in the world around us. And so Peter writes this letter to instruct God's people on how to be holy. And there are two bits of advice that he gives that we're going to focus on today. And the first bit of advice is critical. The first bit of advice he gives is this, that we are to be people who set our hope on Christ. Not to set our hope on anything else or anyone else, but to set our hope on Christ. Now, can you see how important this would be to the people that received this letter? In a foreign country, separated from their family and their friends, scattered by persecution, feeling like everything else in their lives was so uncertain, Peter writes this letter and he says, if you're going to be holy people, you need to set your hope on Christ and Christ alone. Verse 13 says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled, which is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Set your hope fully on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. This is a mental activity, something that Peter is asking them to do with their minds. Now, the King James Version um, says it in a different way. It says to gird up the loins of your mind. Now that's a pretty old school language, something that we don't kind of connect with, that language. But if we understand the visual behind it, it can actually be quite helpful. In biblical times, uh, men were they they wore tunics. Now if you don't know what a tunic is, basically a tunic is a a very long, very manly dress, (laughs) if there's such a thing. And ladies, you would know that if you wear a long dress, uh, it's not the best thing to, to wear for activity. It can be quite restrictive if you are trying to move quickly or you're trying to defend yourself against someone or something or you're trying to bend down to pick something up. It's really, I'm not doing that from experience by the way, I just, I've heard, um, but it's quite, quite restrictive to wear a long dress in that way. And so what the people, uh, the men in the biblical times would do is that when they were ready to Do something physically, they would reach between their legs and they would pick up the back of their tunic and they would pull it up and they would tuck it into their belt. It looked really like a giant nappy, Um, a bit like a sumo wrestler. They look absolutely ridiculous, but you'd never say it to their face. Um, And so they would pull up this tunic um, and they tuck it into their belt. And while we would look at someone today and laugh if they did something like that, uh, in the old days, if a man did that, you wouldn't mess with them because they have just girded their loins. Uh, they are ready for action. They mean business. Look out! Don't mess with that guy. He's ready to go. Now, with today's advancements, we have a new innovation called pants. And I thank the Lord every day that we do, or shorts. Um, But the modern day equivalent of girding your loins would be maybe to pull up your pants. You're getting ready to preach or something like that. You pull up your pants. Um, It's important that you do that. It shows that you're ready for action. Um, And so if you're on a building site and uh, you're trying to work and your pants are halfway down your backside, it's going to be very hard to get stuff done. And so you wouldn't do that unless you were a plumber. And you're um, showing off your version of Plumber's Crack, and you like the cool breeze and all that sort of stuff. But if you're a plumber here today or listening on the podcast, for the love of God and the benefit of all humanity, pull up your pants on the building side. It would be much more comfortable for all of us. Uh, and so... Um, That's also applicable for concreters and and for homeboys. If you're a homeboy, pull up your pants, it just looks ridiculous. Uh, You won't be able to run from the police with your pants halfway down your back. So it's really important that we pull up our pants. Maybe a building site's not a good example. Maybe I'd use if we're running a race. If you're about to run a race, you'd pull up your pants. You'd make sure your shoes are tied up. You're in the posture. You're ready to go. You're ready for the gun to go off. You are prepared for action. This is the picture that Peter's painting with our minds. He says that you've got to be ready to go. You've got to prepare your minds to be holy. It's not going to be easy. And so be ready for action. Be holy as I am holy. I mean, it would be fair to say it's easier said than done, isn't it? I uh, just read an article published this week in the Telegraph. And it showed that the average person today absorbs the equivalent of 174 newspapers of information every single day. The growth in the internet, 24 hour TV and mobile phones means that we now receive five times as much information every day as we did in 1986. Not only that but we process information through email, through Twitter, Facebook, all sorts of social media networks and text messaging. Every day the average person produces six newspapers worth of information compared with just two and a half pages 24 years ago, which is nearly a 200 fold increase. Now I want you to think for a moment about all of those 174, uh, newspapers of information that you absorb every day. And I wonder how much of the information that we are absorbing and putting into our heads every day actually points us to Jesus. I wonder how much of that information actually grows us in our salvation and helps us to mature in Christ. All the billboards. All the ads all the work influences, all the TV programs, everything we read on Facebook, in the newspaper, on the news, if we're honest, it's probably only a tiny little portion of that information that will actually help us grow in our relationship with Christ. We are surrounded by and immersed in a culture that is discipling us in ways that we aren't even fully aware of. Just this week, I was watching a news program in the morning And there was a lady who had spent the last few months in New Zealand living in an exclusive Amish community. And she'd been living there to see what their way of life was like. And it was really quite fascinating to hear her account and her experience. And what she shared was actually pretty positive of what she experienced in this community. But the host of the TV program was a little biased and was kind of trying to ridicule their way of life, I guess. And she asked the the question, she said, what would the Amish community say... If you asked them whether they'd ever considered the possibility that they'd been brainwashed, it's an interesting question. And the lady who'd been living with them paused for a moment and then she responded by saying that the Amish would probably respond by suggesting that we ask ourselves the same question. And I thought that was a really profound response. It was profound because when you consider the Amish and the influences they would be open to, and then you consider our lives and what we would be open to, I think it'd be fair to say that we're open to many more voices and opinions and bombarded by so much more stuff than what they would be. Now, I'm not saying the answer is that today we go home and buy a tunic and head off to the back of Pakenham somewhere and start an Amish community. I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind when he said, I want you to be the light of the world. But what I am saying is that the answer is this, that we are called to be people who live holy lives in the community that he has placed us in. And so how do we set our hope on Christ? Well, to set our hope on Christ in order to live holy lives is a deliberate, proactive mental activity that Peter says that we are to become self-controlled in. And he says we're to set our hope on Christ by reminding ourselves of his future grace. Verse 13, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope fully on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Have you ever had a really long week? A week that just seems difficult and long and painful, like it's never going to end. And you've probably been in a week like that. And the only thing that's got you through and the only hope that you've got is that you've thought about what's coming on the weekend. Uh, maybe you've got annual leave coming up, or maybe it's a party you're going to, or maybe it's just time to rest. I know for all of you, it's it's Follow Baptist Church. You can't wait to gather here at Follow, and so you get through the week because you're just so excited about that, and that's a wonderful thing. Um, but it, it's the future that actually gets you through the present, and I think that's what Peter's trying to do here. He's trying to focus them on the future grace they have in Christ in a time that they're really struggling in life. As human beings, we tend to be people who fall predominantly into one of two categories. Um, First of all, there are people that are either stuck in the past, and so we become either stuck in the past or we become obsessed with the present. There's many people that I've met over the journey that just can't move on from their past. For some people, it's the success of their past. They talk about the good old days, and I just wish it was like it was in 1918 when I could just do this and that, and they were the good old days, and oh, you should have seen me play footy back then, and oh, everyone loved me, and the girls followed me around, and and they're they're stuck in the past, and and their glory is in the past, and that's all they're focused on. Um, Sometimes it's the success success of the past. Other times it's the, the pain of the past. Perhaps people have been through abuse and don't want to downplay how painful that can be. Um, for others, it's just the failings. They, they haven't sort of lived up to what they wanted to live up to, and so they're disappointed with life, and they're, they're struggling with the pain of feeling like they're a failure, and um, they've got regret and pain from the things that they've done wrong in their past. Well, the truth is that we've all got a past. Uh, everyone in this room, I'm sure, uh, has times in life when they've failed. I'm pretty sure everyone here has made mistakes and we probably all have some sort of regrets. But for many people, life just seems to be a merry-go-round where they keep regurgitating the old hurts and thoughts and the perpetual victim mentality and behaviours that come with that. And I've been there before. I've been in that place where I'm stuck in the past and I, I keep beating myself up about what's happened back there. And I've got to say that my experience is that I've found that it's very hard to live a holy life when we're living in the past. It's very hard to live a holy life when we're angry, regretful, perhaps looking for revenge or recognition, perhaps wanting to prove that we were right and just get our story across. It's very hard when we're stuck in the past to live holy lives in the present. You see, our past can either paralyze us or it can propel us forward into the future. Uh, When you drive home in your cars today, You'll notice just above your head, there's a little device that we call the rear view mirror. And the rear view mirror is a very helpful device. It helps to keep us safe. When we look in it, we can see behind us and we can focus on what's going on uh, around us. And it helps us to shift lane and it helps us to move safely and it helps us to navigate safely and to move forward towards our destination. However, today, if you were to jump in your car after the service and you got in the car and you decided all the way home today, I'm just going to stare in the rear view mirror. And you're driving home like this all the way home. Um, let me tell you that rearview mirror would go from being helpful to dangerous. And instead of helping you to navigate your way forward, it would now actually cause you to crash. And it's the same with our past. And we can look back and we can learn from our past. We can grow from our past. It can help us to make the right decisions moving forward. But if we dwell on our past and we get stuck there, and we are constantly just looking behind us, it can stop us from moving forward in life and it can cause us to crash. Jesus on the cross took all of our sins, all of our failures, all of our brokenness, all of our mistakes, all of our past, all of our shame, all of our guilt, all of our sin. He took it all upon himself at the cross and he stretched out his hands and he said, it is finished. And when he said, it is finished, uh, in, the, in the language he was using, it means it is finished. He means what he said. And so when we receive Christ at the point of salvation, that's his word over the mistakes and the sin of our past, that he has paid the penalty for that, that we are forgiven for that, and we are set free to move forward into a future with him. Now, the thing is this, that when we live on this side of the cross, where we've accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. When we keep going back and dwelling on our past and beating ourselves up for our mistakes and saying we're hopeless and not being able to see the future, what we're doing is we're actually downplaying what Jesus did on the cross. We're saying that what you did is actually not enough. And you said it's finished, but I say it's not finished. And I'm going to keep playing it over in my head like a broken record over and over and over again. Because for me, it's not finished. And so we need to be people who understand what Jesus did for us at the cross. Because the truth is, before we came to know Jesus, we were lost. We were in the quagmire and we were sinking fast. But at the cross, Jesus lifted out his hand and he pulled us out of that and he brought us into an amazing thing in the present that we're forgiven and set free. But he opened our eyes up to the future, that the future we have in Christ is incredible because it's eternal. And this passage earlier on said it's an inheritance that won't perish, spoil, or even fade. And so Peter is saying to these people, if you're going to live holy lives in the present, you need to set your hope on Christ because people can take your dignity. dignity. People can criticize your faith. People can take your very life, but they can never take what Jesus won for you at the cross. They can never take salvation that has been won for you. And so lift your eyes and set your hope on Jesus. Verse 18, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believed in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. If you are living in the past, if you can't move on from the things that have happened, can I encourage you today to to make a line in the sand and to come before the cross of Jesus Christ and to lay down your burdens, to lay down the things that are holding you back and say, today, Jesus, I'm moving forward with you. Thank you for what you did for me at the cross. Thank you that you died for me and that you've given me a future. And I pray today that you can lay that stuff down before him and it will stop limiting what he's got for you in the present and the future, but it will set you free to live a holy life for him. And so I pray for you today, whether you're here or listening on the podcast, that today would be a line in the sand for you, that you can move forward in life. Some people are so stuck in the past, but there are others that are obsessed with the present. They live for the moment. They store up their wealth and success for the here and now because in their worldview, this is all that we've got. Well, Jesus sets us free from the past, but it's also important not to get too caught up in the present. Once again, for those receiving this letter, it was an incredibly important message because they were part of what we know as the Roman Empire. Now, the Roman Empire was a magnificent empire. lasted for 1,000 years. Some historians say up to 2,000 years. And it was a famous empire for many different things. They were famous for their architecture. They were famous for their road networks. Um, Their their road networks were really advanced. And in fact, they were much more advanced than ours in many ways, um, much better than the M1. Um, you know, on a Roman road, if a chariot broke down, you wouldn't be stuck there all day. Uh, like on Lm1, it breaks down, and you're stuck there forever. Uh, they were very um, advanced with their roads. Uh, their architecture was incredible. You know, the Colosseum was being constructed when this letter was written, and it was this kind of ancient day MCG. Um, their Pantheon, their libraries, their temples. It was the kind of architecture and buildings that that you would look at and go, "Wow, these people are awesome." The stuff they've achieved is magnificent. Their military strength was phenomenal. Their army was unparalleled, seen as unbeatable in number, in strategy, and in strength. They were an empire to be feared. And their culture was one of achievement and strength. They desired to be acknowledged and known for their success. They were dominating and prideful. They were powerful and self-sufficient. Their identity was found in the things that they'd achieved in the present and their leaders, the emperors, saw themselves as gods. This empire must have seemed so big, so powerful, so grandiose that they would have thought that this is never going to end. And this was the culture that these exiles who received this letter were saturated in. Many people were living for the present and the present was pretty amazing. But do you know what the Roman empire is now? A a few thousand years later, it's a bunch of ruins that you can visit on an overseas trip. It came to absolutely nothing. This almighty kingdom, all the pomp and all the grandiose and all their strength is nothing but a tiny blip on a very insipid timeline we call human history when stacked up next to eternity is like a click of our fingers. And it seems so ridiculous now that all their faith and all their strength was in all the stuff that they were doing and yet so often we're no different all of our identity all of our purpose is is the here and now we live our lives like this is all that we have and so often we fail to live holy lives because we're living like this life is all we've got every time we give into unhealthy sexual desires every time we turn to drugs every time uh, you know we look for the highs in the drugs and the sex and all that stuff every time we dishonest with our finance, every time we use people in business, every time we lie to get ahead, every time we become workaholics, they're all symptoms of unholy living, which indicate that we're overly focused on the present and we've lost sight of our future. Verse 24 says, For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Uh, In my front yard, when a flower grows, I get really excited. I think, isn't that awesome? It's beautiful, pink, Glenn's favorite color. I think that's amazing. I'll tell him about it. And I get really excited about this flower. I think God's creation's awesome. And then I go back a couple of days later and and the flaming thing's withered. It's dropped. It's gone. Uh, This passage says that, all the glory of mankind, all of our achievements, all of the things we think are so amazing and so fantastic are like a flower. they here, they look amazing for a short time, and then they wither away. And how sad it would be that we put all our hope in the flower, and we didn't lift our eyes to the God who created it. As Christians, we are set apart, and our hope's found not predominantly in the past, but predominantly, not predominantly in the present, but predominantly in our future. And so Peter says, in light of all of that, set your hope on Christ, knowing that God's the one you're going to give an account to. Verse 17 says, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time here as foreigners in reverent fear. When we remember all of this, it'll help us to live holy lives, to please the one who's purchased our future, not with gold and silver, but by his blood. And so if we want to live holy lives, the first bit of advice Peter gives us is to set our hope on Christ. The second thing he says is to live for Christ. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it's written, be holy because I am holy. We need to start here by making a distinction. When we talk about the holiness of God, we're talking about holiness at a whole other level. God is holy. He is perfect. He is magnificent. He is majestic. He is true and righteous. He is just and loving in all of his ways. He is without fault. He has no blemish. He is light and in him there's no darkness at all. He is everything pure. He is everything right. He is holy. Now, if you spend more than 30 seconds with Daniel, and you spend more than 30 seconds with me, you will know that that doesn't describe us. None of us could live up to that description of who God is. And yet God says, I am holy, uh, be holy because I am holy. Now, if you're a Christian here today, uh, the good news is you're not who you used to be. Uh, you're no longer living in ignorance, as this passage says. You've come to know the one who saves. But you're also not who you're going to be. Jesus says that when he returns in the twinkling of an eye, we will be made to be like him. We're definitely not there yet. And so we're not what we used to be. We're not what we're going to be. We're somewhere in the middle, and we're on a journey. We're on a journey to become more like Christ. And so every day, from the moment we receive Christ, we are being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit makes us holy, but he's also making us holy each and every day as we become more like Jesus. And the truth is that if we are truly saved, we should actually see progress in our salvation. And so if you made a decision one day years ago, and since then nothing's changed in your life whatsoever, there's been no increase in holiness, there's no um, you know, growing to be more like Christ, I would encourage you to question whether you're saved. And that's a really harsh thing to say, but I'd rather you answer that question now than the day when you stand before God. Because if we're Christians and we really have the Holy Spirit in our lives, then He's going to be transforming us ever and, in ever increasing glory to become more and more like Jesus. And so we should see progress in our lives. Now I'm not saying that's always steps ahead. Sometimes there's a couple of steps forward and a few steps back and a few more forward and some back. And, and that's you know our failings and our weaknesses. But there's grace in all of that. And but what I am saying is, over a period of time, we should see progress. Verse 2 of the second chapter says, Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up, grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Some people see holiness as keeping a bunch of rules, but it's so much more than that. It's living our lives deliberately and proactively for Christ. Now, verse 1 says... Uh, Of Chapter 2 says, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. But holiness is as much about what we do as about what we don't do. And so as we serve and sacrifice, as we're generous and loving, we will demonstrate holy lives, lives that are becoming more like Jesus. Now Peter's writing, when he writes letters, is very similar to the Apostle Paul's in some way particularly in the way that they start with the theological before going to the practical. In the first 12 verses that we looked at last week, Peter paints this magnificent picture of who God is. He lifts their eyes to the promises of God, who he is and what he's done for them. And so he tells them, God is incredible. He has elected you and chosen you according to his foreknowledge. Despite your weaknesses and failings, he has chosen you and he set you apart as holy holy. He set you free from your sins through His death on the cross. He's shielding you by His power. He's given you an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. He's done all of this for you, not because you deserve it, but because He is God. He is love. He is compassion. He is grace. And so Peter's pointing them and painting this beautiful picture to them of God, and he wants them to lift their eyes to God. And the purpose is this, that as they lift their eyes above their circumstances to the glory of God, that they would be so in awe of him, that they'd be so um, grateful towards what he has done, that they would want to live their lives for him. You see, when we get a glimpse of who God is and how magnificent he is, holiness is never simply about keeping a bunch of rules, but rather it's a desire to live for the one who saved us, to represent him in this world. I want to finish with an illustration today from an interview that I heard this week on the radio. And the interview was with one of the members of the Jamaican 4x100 um, relay team who ran their race yesterday. Now, I don't even know his name because he's living in the shadow of a great called Usain Bolt. And so I don't even know what this guy's name was, but they were interviewing this no name in some ways about what was coming up on the weekend. And they said to him, what are you looking forward to with the race? And his response was really amazing. He said, all we want to do is win it for Usain Bolt. I thought that was staggering, this Jamaican superstar of athletics. Now, here's a guy that nobody really knows. He's worked his backside off for the last four years. Probably all his life he's waited for this moment. And when asked what excited him most about the race, he said, we just want to win it for Usain. And as I thought about that and I pondered that interview, it sort of hit me that that's what it's like to live a holy life for Christ. It's not to win gold for ourselves, It's not to accumulate stuff in this life. Can you imagine if one of the guys in that relay was running halfway through his stretch and he stopped and he asked the guys for his gold medal? I want what I'm going to get at the finish line now. And so it's all about the the medal. So give me my medal. Um, That would just be bizarre, wouldn't it? And yet so often we live our lives like that. Our reward is eternal. It's something God's promised for us in the future. It doesn't mean he doesn't look after us in the present. But our hope's not in the present. Our hope's in the future. And so we are running this race not to accumulate things for ourselves in this life but to finish the race for Christ, knowing that the true reward is found after the finish line in pleasing him. So I want to encourage you today to heed the words that Peter writes here that were given by God himself. Be holy as I am holy. By setting our hope on Christ and living our lives for him deliberately and proactively every day.